The Mysterious Circumstances podcast is hosted by Justin Rimmel. This is an American Crimecast production. Visit us at our new home at accproductions.org. Remember, everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. He said the reason he knowed so much, said he sold himself to the devil. I asked him how, and he said, quote, If you want to learn how to play anything you want to play, and learn how to make songs yourself. You take your guitar and you go to where the road crosses that way, where a crossroad is. Get there, be sure to get there just a little before 12 o'clock that night, so you'll know you'll be there. You have your guitar and be playing a piece sitting there by yourself. You have to go by yourself and be sitting there playing a piece. A big black man will walk up there and take your guitar and he'll tune it, and then he'll play a piece and hand it back to you. That's the way I learned how to play anything I want." End quote. And he could. He used to play anything. Don't care what it was. Church song? You could sing any kind of tangled up song you want to, and I'll bet you he could play it. That was a statement from the Reverend Liddell Johnson. I think he's the greatest folk blues guitar player that ever lived, and the greatest singer, the greatest writer. You know, you, you think you were getting a handle on playing the blues, and, and then to hear John, you say, whoa, there's a long way to go yet. <laughs> it's still the most powerful uh, cry that I think you can find in music of the human voice. But he's following me and Willie around on Saturday night, yeah, Willie Brown. And every time we stop for rest and sit there, we'll get the other in the corner or something and go out to catch air, you know, get the guitar and be trying to play and be just noising the people, you know. <laughs> and when the folks come out, I say, why don't y'all, some of y'all go in and meet that boy, put that, get that thing down, he running us crazy. Finally, he left, he run off from his father and mother. And he went over in Arkansas somewhere. Well, he was gone about six, eight months. Well, they say he sold himself to the devil. That's what they say. I heard a lot of people say that uh, he sold himself to the devil, went to the crossroad and all that. He said he done that, went to the crossroad. Then he come back. When he come back, me and Willie Brown was playing out there, and he walked in. He said, can I, can I hear the record? I said, no, nah, don't come back with that, Robert. I said, you know the people don't, don't want to hear that racket. He said, that, they don't say what they want to say. I want you to see what I learned. Sunhouse declared emphatically, quote, he sold his soul to the devil to play like that. I never seen him have to practice uh, anything like that. Never seen him sit down and learn a song. He already knew it. Once he attempted to play it, he knew it. He had a built-in computer. Everything he heard was there. All he had to do was punch the button. Me and the devil was walking side by side. main story that everybody wants to know and wants to remember him by is that he was at the crossroad and he sold his soul to the devil to learn how to play the way he did. Me and the devil Robert Johnson's entire life, death, 
and even birthplace, is shrouded in mystery and legend. How much of it is true? How much is just a myth? I think you might be surprised at what we find out. Join me and my co-host Olivia from Something's Not Right podcast as we try to figure out just what happened at the crossroads and what happened the night the King of the Delta Blues died. Welcome to Mysterious Circumstances Podcast. We got a great episode for you here today, and I am joined by the ever-amazing Olivia from Something's Not Right Podcast. But we got a fucking crazy-ass mystery. Actually, three mysteries kind of all rolled up into one here. And we are going to be talking about Robert Johnson, the great king of the Delta Blues today. And we're going to be talking about whether or not He sold his soul to the devil at the crossroads. And we're also going to be talking about how he died, because there's a lot of mystery involved in that. And then we're going to be talking about where he's actually buried, because Robert Johnson has three tombstones in three different places. And nobody knows exactly where his body is buried. So, hope you're uh, in for a rabbit hole of some shit. And uh, Olivia here fucking graciously volunteered to help me figure this out. What do you think about what do you think about it when you started researching it, Olivia? I was pretty quickly overwhelmed because uh, this information, none of it is consistent. It's all inconsistent. It's fucking all over the place. I've in all my research, I didn't read the same thing twice. Pretty much, it's yeah. It's all different. And I mean, I guess that kind of goes with his legend. Because, like me and you were talking about, with the exception of two marriage certificates, or marriage licenses, a death certificate, and his 29 songs, I mean, there's more out there that supposedly have not been found yet. But you wouldn't have been able to prove that he even existed, to be honest with you. Yeah, it was that stuff, and then I think maybe like one or two um, school registration type of things. That yeah, other than that, that's like the only documentation there is. <laughs> yeah, and that and stories of traveling bluesmen, and that's pretty much what he was. That's exactly what he was. There's no pretty much about it, but and that's a, a pretty much what we have to just base his entire fucking life on, which is a fucking nutshell. I suppose what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to shoot you with the biography of Robert Johnson as it's stated by several people pretty much all pulling we're pulling from all kinds of sources we pulled it together we tried to give you a timeline and exactly what happened with his life and death who he was and then we're going to shoot you with some facts and then we're going to shoot you with some theories about the crossroads legend uh, his death and where he possibly might be buried at. So hope you got some time. So you're gonna hear a pretty good episode. Before we get started, though, I do have to say a big shout out to uh, Danny and his wife Hubia. Uh, Danny is a pretty hardcore fan. He just started listening a couple weeks ago, and 
he messaged me on Facebook and sent me a badass message, and I can't thank him enough for that. I had just gotten, like, two really shitty reviews that day, and he came through and totally made my day, man. So I appreciate that, dude, with everything, man. I really do. It uh, it made my day, and I, I appreciate it, and uh, I'm really glad you like the diversity of the podcast, and I'm, I'm glad you like my format and how I present everything, dude. It meant a lot to me. So thank you very, very much. I appreciate that. But with that, thanks aside, Olivia, you want to go ahead and get us started? Sure, sure. Um, before I really get into it, I, we already kind of touched on this, but the ages of people I ran across in the research and the, the yeah. dates can be a little bit iffy. Um, it's A lot of this stuff comes from census records, mm-hmm. which aren't always accurate. For example, children were apparently, a lot of times they'd be reported a few years older than their true age so that they'd be old enough to work. You know, I mean, I've even seen things in genealogy research where, you know, name spellings are different every time. So it's not um, like a solid source. But so I kind of went with, to, to do the bones of my timeline, I used what was on the website for the Robert Johnson Blues Foundation. Cool. And when I got started, I was like, oh, well, this will be it. But, you know, I found there were inconsistencies in that information, too. And so I've kind of worked it out as best I can. But if you see different numbers from what I've thrown out or yeah. dates, this is probably why. Yeah. So just to start out, before he was born, in 1889, a woman named Julia Majors and her, uh, a guy named Charles Dodds, who was a farmer and pretty successful businessman, they got married and settled in Hazelhurst or Martinsville, Mississippi. I think they're essentially the same place. And they stayed busy raising their kids. But in 1909, Charles left Hazelhurst for Memphis. He actually fled in the middle of the night. Um, I saw in one source he was disguised as a woman. Oh, provocative. And he was on the run from basically a lynch mob. Yeah. And on that Robert Johnson Foundation website, they said he was actually on the run from two Italian businessmen that he had some kind of dispute with. And those were the guys that were trying to lynch him. And it may have been because he shared the same mistress with one of those two men. So that's a possible reason behind the dispute. I just thought that was an interesting detail. It is. Once he got to Memphis, Charles Dodds found an apartment, and he actually changed his name to Charles Spencer. And by 19, April 1910, Julia Majors had listed herself as divorced in the federal census. We're not really sure, I guess, if they were actually divorced at that time. In the late summer or early fall of 1910, Julia had an affair with a married man who was 14 years younger, a sawmill worker named Noah Johnson, and as a result of that relationship, she became pregnant. So on May 8, 1911, Robert Leroy Johnson was born in Martinsville, Mississippi. There was no birth certificate for him. Mississippi actually didn't start requiring those until the very next year. So maybe we could have had that documentation, but he was born a little early. So he was one of 11 kids. But, yeah, just as an aside, there were some sources that did say she was still married to Charles when she became pregnant with Robert. That's really neither here nor there, but it's just another good example of the way it's impossible to pin down most of the details about this guy (laughs) with any level of certainty. 
1913, she brought Robert to live with her former husband, Charles Spencer, in Memphis. And so Robert started school there in 1916. Being in Memphis in his formative years probably had a really important influence on Robert. Charles Spencer's house was close to Beale Street, and one of Robert's older brothers hung out at a lot of the music venues and bars in the neighborhood, and so that likely rubbed off on him. Now, according to the 1920 census, Robert was known by that time as Robert Spencer. So he'd taken on his mother's husband's newer last name, (laughs) and he was living in Lucas, Arkansas, with Julia and her new husband, William Dusty Willis. And every thing I've read, they kept mentioning how Dusty was 24 years younger. (laughs) Yeah. She liked those younger men. Cougar. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Sometime between 1920 and 1924, Robert moved with Julia and Dusty to Commerce, Mississippi. And from what I gather, Commerce doesn't really exist anymore. But for anybody like people in my area who are familiar with like the casinos of Tunica, Commerce is right there in that area. So if we talk about Commerce or Robinsonville. It's all there in Tunica County. It's it's essentially the same place. It's sort of mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere, but really close to Memphis. And so, anyway, they settled in a shack along the levee on a plantation property, and it was at this home where Robert built his first diddly bow. And for those of you who didn't know what that was, and I'm embarrassed to say I didn't, it's basically a rudimentary guitar. It's, it's usually as simple as like a board with a, a single string stretched between two screws, and then they use a glass bottle as the bridge. Mm-hmm. It's got a bluesy sound because they, they play it using a slide. Well, you, uh, kind you, of a starter you, instrument for you, kids. Yeah, but you touched bass on the diddly bow a couple weeks ago in an episode you had. Yeah, but only because I read about their research into this. So, um, so before that, I didn't know what it was. But it's yeah, it was kind of a starter instrument for kids, particularly in that time period in the South, and that's why it was so influential to the blues sound. I did read somewhere that there was some speculation that Robert actually played one with three strings yeah. instead of one. That's what so, I read too. He may have been ambitious about music from yeah. the start, but. So, in 1924, school records indicated that Robert, who was still going by Robert Spencer, was attending Indian Creek School in Commerce. And they showed his age as 14, which that's consistent with his day of birth. So, that may have actually been right. Uh, Robert hated farming and picking yeah. cotton, and his stepfather, Dusty, didn't like the reputation and the drifter type of lifestyle that these walking bluesmen had. And they think that could be why Robert left that Tunica area around the age of 16. He just, you know, his parents didn't agree with what he was into. By 1927, Robert learned one of his first songs on the guitar. Um, it was a guy named Harry Hard Rock Glenn. Who taught him to play this song. It was called I'm Gonna Sit Down and Tell My Mama. I don't actually know who this guy was. I couldn't I couldn't figure out who he was. I couldn't Google him. I couldn't either. Uh, so by the next year, supposedly he was traveling around to various places in Mississippi and a few places in Arkansas to perform, playing a number of instruments and maybe some guitar. He also 
made a trip to Memphis and that time to visit Charles Spencer and his new wife and children. So I guess they, they stayed close. But somewhere in that time period, he actually started using his biological father's last name, Johnson. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of got to be Robert Johnson. And in February of 1929, he married a 16-year-old or possibly 14 i don't did you ever see that anywhere i didn't i didn't see 14 i only i only saw 16 and i believe he was what 19 or 20 at the time something like that um or he would have probably been about 18 yeah i saw mostly i saw 16 14 didn't come up somewhere really long ago um but her name was virginia travis and so they got married in penton mississippi and that looks to be also in the tunica area and they moved in with Robert's half-sister and her husband on a plantation near Robinsonville, again, in the Tunica area. But she died giving birth to their child on April 10th of 1930 mm-hmm. at her parents' house while Robert was away performing. And the baby didn't make it either. So when he returned, Virginia's family and friends were really pissed at him yeah understandably Mm -hmm. um they didn't like his lifestyle and consider him a godless evil musician yeah playing the devil's music i would have been mad at him more because he wasn't there for her but yeah whatever (laughs) so in june of 1930 sun house musician moved to robinsonville and by that time robert was playing a bodied resonator guitar Mm mm-hmm I don't know what that means, but maybe you do. It's, and, yeah, it's just basically just a hollow body guitar. Gotcha. And so he was sometimes traveling and playing with other musicians in various spots in Mississippi. But according to a 1990s, or I'm sorry, 1960 <laughs> interview Sunhouse did, when he met Robert, at that point, Robert pretty much sucked the yeah. guitar. <laughs> yeah. And I think we'll, we'll probably touch on that interview later. Definitely, yeah. yeah. So. I did hear from more than one person, though. He was actually really good at harmonica. But yeah. he didn't want to play harmonica. He wanted to play the guitar, like, so fucking right. bad. Well, he wanted to, but apparently he wouldn't. Yeah, I, in, in all honesty, I read that in, in a lot of places and not just from Sunhouse. Like, they used to rag on that on, on him pretty fucking bad. Cause well, everybody's got a shirt he was, he was mediocre as fuck, man. Well, okay, so we're getting into, like, a weird place in our timeline. And if you need to interrupt me at any point, please do. To, <laughs> to be honest with you, like, right around the early 30s, there's no definitive timeline from like 1930 to like 1936. Okay, well, I'm going to give you what I got okay. there, and then we can. Um, yeah, we can jive know, on that. Discuss why this timeline so. <laughs> so in March of 1931, uh, Robert left the Delta and headed towards Martinsville. So that was the area again where he was born possibly looking to locate Noah Johnson, his uh, biological father. Mm -hmm. And during that time, he, I guess, met a woman named Virginia Mae Smith because she became pregnant by him. He was, I I haven't really mentioned it, but he was a ladies' man. 
He was whiskey and women. That's exactly what he was known for. And to be honest with you, in his defense, as a man, the women loved him too. So, it was a mutual thing. Well, I mean, based on one of those two photos of him, he was a pretty snazzy dresser too. And you know what? Speaking of which, he was one of his very good friends, and I'm sure you caught on to this, uh, uh, Johnny Shines, who was probably his closest friend throughout his entire life, and they only hung out for, what, a few years probably. They they were on the road together a lot. He said it was pretty amazing. Robert uh, Robert could pull his shit together pretty quick, and he was, he was pretty known for, for being sharp. Like, he would sleep in the same clothes for a few days, but he would still come out looking dapper as fuck, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? So... So he was, a, he was a nice looking guy. Yeah, he was. He was. So he got this chick pregnant doing things the way he did. Mm-hmm. And he was in a place called Beauregard, which from what I could gather, it's in the same area as Martinsville and Hazelhurst. I think they're all in the same county. And so they was, again, we're talking about essentially the same place. Yeah. And when he was there, he met this guy, Isaiah Ike. Zimmerman or Zinnerman, depending on the source, I even saw two different spellings of that. So did so, I. So did I. I'm just, I'm just going to call him Zimmerman. Yeah. But he took Robert into his family home and gave him guitar lessons. And Zimmerman was rumored to have learned to play guitar sitting in a graveyard at midnight. And now there was a 2008 article in a magazine called Living Blues that said that Zimmerman really did practice playing in graveyards at night but it was because it was a quiet place yeah yeah and so it may not have been as you know spooky or romantic as it sounds mm-hmm. but the article said that johnson may have actually been living being with him and learning guitar from him for about a year mm-hmm. which i think we'll probably talk about that some more later too what, what the time period was definitely was in that area yeah because that's a big big discrepancy is the time frame that he was gone so well on may 4th 1931 specifically sorry no may 4th 1931 specifically robert married a woman who was 10 years older than him her name was coletta Kraft. she went by callie and so from that marriage he became a stepfather to her two children from previous relationships and the Robert Johnson Blues Foundation notes that she doted on Robert and served him breakfast in bed. That's not real relevant to the story, but I just thought that was kind of sweet. It is kind of sweet. By, <laughs> by the middle of 1931, Robert was playing music every Saturday on the steps of Hazelhurst's Copiah County Courthouse, as well as at least five other Mississippi towns. So he's still traveling around doing music. And then... For December 30, or sorry, December 12th of 1931, Virgie Mae Smith, that woman I mentioned earlier, she mm-hmm. gave birth to his son Claude, and that is that's the only child we know about. That is that is confirmed, the only child, yeah. and I believe there are two grandchildren. I know Stephen Johnson. I think it was in the late 90s, early 2000s actually won the court battle for Robert Johnson's estate and got paid a lot of back money. 
for for his shit. And Eric Clapton, and you know what, though? That was, on a side note, when Eric Clapton got approached to pay pay up for uh, the copyright shit, it is stated that he was totally cool about it. He was more than happy to pay whatever he owed, which was just makes me love Eric Clapton that much more. Yeah, that was totally the right thing to do. Well, um, yeah, so Claude's the only only kid there is verified. I don't know if there were any questions about any others or not. Just, just Probably. Just the nature of his relationship with ladies. But, <laughs> Probably. But, but Claude was the guy. So, and this is kind of the last of what I've got here. In 1932, Robert and his wife, Callie, moved to Delta, uh, but he left her shortly thereafter. Mm-hmm. And it's possible they were never divorced. Nobody was really able to definitively prove they were divorced. But either way, he was out getting involved with other women whenever he wanted. And she died in 1932. I saw that it was in childbirth. That's actually what I saw, too. Okay. So I don't know if that's, like, not Robert's child or what. Uh, the child didn't make it? I don't think the child... I I don't know. I don't... That's the thing. I couldn't get anything concrete on that. I do know that she died. I heard so many different things about whether or not it was during childbirth or not. I'm not 100% sure. You know, if, if it was during childbirth, you would naturally assume that if the child didn't pass away, then they would have been around like Claude. But it was fifty fifty on whether or not it was with child. But I do know she that that she did pass away, and and I I honestly heard that it it affected Robert quite a bit at that point in time. But start telling, you know. Well, that's that's the extent of what I've got on my timeline, and and you know I I don't know if we've gone beyond the point. No, the big story here or not, or not, not really. Um. Pretty much what happens is when Robert Johnson leaves right around 1931, and I say right around 1931 because from what I understand, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Olivia, I read anywhere from 1931 to 1933 that he disappeared, but I also heard that it was anywhere from a time span of six months to a time span of two to three years. Now, Son House, who knew Robert Johnson very well because he was there when he was younger, he, him and a lot of other local, I mean, not even local, just straight up fucking blues legends, they, they would, they would pick on him, man. They would. He would come in and he would want to play the guitar. And when all the big dogs would go out on break to catch a breath of fresh air, Robert Johnson would be getting up on the stage, start playing their guitars, and literally patrons around the place would say, man, get that fucking guy off the stage. Like, you know, he's coming with the racket. Like, this isn't even good. There's nothing good about this, you know? So, Son House would come in and he'd be like, dude, just stop, you know? And he even admitted it was so funny because I watched an interview with Son House and it was probably an interview from the 80s or 90s. I want to say the 80s, but he's so funny how he tells this story because he's just like, you know, the kid could blow a harp, man. You know, he could play a harmonica like hell. 
But he's like, damn it, he was not good at guitar. And we kept telling him that shit. But according to Sun House, Robert Johnson was only gone for anywhere from six to eight months. And when he came back, he walked up into one of the juke joints that Sun House was in. And Sun House straight up says that he asked him if he could play. And Sun replies, he's like, listen, man, he's like, he basically said, you can't play for shit. Like, why do you even want to come around playing? And he said he picked up that guitar and he started playing. And he said almost every person in the the place, their mouth just dropped. Because they said wherever he went and whatever he learned, he said within that time frame, Robert Johnson learned how to play the fucking blues. Now... I mean, it's very well documented in in more than one interview with Sun House. And this goes from interviews from 1966 to like, I think the early 90s, late 80s with Sun House. He says the same shit. He's like, the only way he could have gotten that good that fast is if he would have sold his soul to the devil. So Robert Johnson just starts traveling around and he starts playing guitar. Now... Like, we started talking about the timeline. The timeline is so hard to nail down from 1931 to 1936. And the reason I say that is because Robert Johnson's grandson, Stephen Johnson, has done his own extensive research. Now, he says that Robert Johnson was gone for anywhere from two to three years, and not even he can pinpoint it down. But he said all he knows is that he went to Arkansas to look for his real father, and who he ended up running into was Ike Zimmerman. Now, like you had stated before, Ike Zimmerman was a very accomplished guitar player. And supposedly, according to Stephen Johnson, Robert Johnson would hang around Ike's place so much and he would stay there so often that one of Ike Zimmerman's daughters actually thought that Robert Johnson was her brother. Like, and this was when she was young enough to, you know, think that, which I thought was like, you know, cool in a really weird way. You know what I mean? It was like, I thought it was, it was, it was really awesome, but. That's adorable. <laughs> yeah, right. And it sucks because there's nothing concrete that Ike Zimmerman ever said. I don't know. I didn't, I, I hate to say it, but I didn't do too much research on Ike Zimmerman because I've been researching this for four or five days and there's there's so much discrepancy in Robert Johnson's life that you can't pull away from that. Like, you have to dive in deep because there's so much shit that's different by so many people. But anyway, when he gets back into town, and like I said, he shows up at a juke joint where Sunhouse is at and a couple other guys. Now, Sunhouse, like I had mentioned before says, you know, Robert Johnson shows up, you know, and they were still ragging on him because it doesn't matter whether he was gone for six months or two years. These guys still had the same opinion of Robert Johnson. Like they remember him being this younger dude that couldn't play guitar for shit that was just making a racket in the juke joints. And like literally it wasn't just the bluesmen that were making fun of him. It was every fucking person in the place that was ragging on this dude. So when he comes back, They said that his ability had 
just magnified so much that it was almost to the point of unbelievable. And like I had said, Sunhouse goes on the record for 30 fucking years and tells the same story. Now, granted, this is coming from Sunhouse. Robert Johnson never once ever said, technically, we're going to get into that here in a little bit, never once said that he had sold his soul to the devil. There is one person on this fucking planet that he actually admitted that he had done that. And that was one of his girlfriends, Willie Mae. It's, uh, it's so hard to keep it straight, Olivia. It truly is. Because there's so many people that have gone down there. Musicologists. Folklorists. Just straight up blues documentarians. If that's the right word. I might have just made that word up. I don't even fucking know. But they have all gone down there to find out exactly who Robert Johnson was, where he went, but nobody exactly knows. All we know is that he did leave for anywhere from six months to two to three years, and we do know that he was playing guitar and learning guitar from Ike Zimmerman, and we do know that when he came back, he could play the guitar like a motherfucker, all right? Now, according to legend, here's what happened. Robert Johnson goes to the crossroads in Clarksdale, Mississippi, which is located on the corner of U.S. 61 and U.S. 49. Now, he shows up there a little bit before midnight. Now, from what he was told by somebody else, because apparently in the South, there were more than one person who had admitted to going to the crossroads to sell their sold to the devil for, you know, fame, fortune, you know, to be legends, to be musicians. Most of it was musicians. Um, and these were all traveling bluesmen, just like Robert Johnson. Now, supposedly he goes down there. Now, what happens is, like you heard in the quote that I stated before that I opened this episode up with, he goes down there a little bit before midnight on a full moon, he meets up with a large-sized black man, shows up. Now, this is supposedly the devil. Now, what he does is he hands his guitar to the devil. Now, the devil tunes his guitar, plays a couple riffs, you know, just strums it a little bit. For those of you who don't know what riffs is, it's like a, you know, like a, like a hook, you know, like a little chorus, a little whatever. And the devil hands him his guitar back, and he says that, here you go, man. He's like, I, I got my left hand on your soul now. You are going to be remembered as the greatest blues player that has ever lived. And this is supposedly when the time when Robert Johnson was not around. The sad part about it is, is, is him meeting up with Ike Zimmerman. I don't know where that information came from. Did you get any sources on that, Olivia? No, actually... I read about it in several different places, but I don't know like what researcher gathered that information or where they got it. Okay, and that's kind of what I'm puzzled about, because where did Ike Zimmerman come into play? Who brought his name up? Who said that he was there? You know what I'm saying? Like It's kind of puzzling, because if Ike Zimmerman himself would have said, 
Yeah, Robert Johnson was hanging around my fucking house for two years. I finally taught that asshole how to play guitar, and now Mm. he's badass. But that's not how it happened. Like, I wanted to know where Ike Zimmerman came from, who brought that name up, but I could not find it. So technically, as it stands, that's the part that bothers me the most, is because Ike Zimmerman never said any of this shit. Nobody ever had an interview with Ike Zimmerman himself. Nobody has stated a source that was anywhere close to Ike Zimmerman saying, yeah, he did. He taught Robert Johnson how to play. You know, Ike Zimmerman had kids. None of those kids ever came forward and said, yeah, Robert Johnson came over here. None of them. So I really am, am, I don't want to say leery because obviously, you know, it's, it's totally plausible. It's fucking 110% plausible. It's more plausible than the devil thing. Well, it is in a sense, in a sense. But I mean, when we get into the devil, we're probably going to touch, touch on folklore with the African deity, uh, Legba. You know what I mean? And, you know, we'll talk about that in a minute, but it still bothers me that it's unconfirmed by a rock-solid source. You know, fact is fact. And don't get me wrong, the, the other part that really bothers me about that time frame is before that, he was playing guitar for over 10 years. And he was playing with the likes of Sunhouse, you know, Honey Boy, Honey Boy Edwards, you know, Sonny Boy Williamson. How is he not going to pick up anything in that point of time? Moving forward, we'll get back to the fucking facts and theories because that, me, I think me and you are going to have some fun with that, Olivia, all right? But, I'm uh, scared now. <laughs> oh, stop. Oh, stop. But he comes back into town, and like I said, it's somewhere around 1933, 1934. We don't exactly know when. Now, he gets back into town, and he's traveling around. And this is, like I said, when he goes to the juke joint and meets back up with Sun House. And he's literally the fucking big dog on the street. Now, he runs into a uh, a guy from, I think it's ARC or ACR Records in Jacksonville, Mississippi. Because at this point in time, he's he's traveling all over. He's traveling to New York. St. Louis, Chicago, playing the fucking blues. He's got a solid reputation, and he meets up with this dude, and I, honest to God, cannot fucking remember his name. I could probably look it up, but I'm not going to. Because... Was Don Law, the producer? No, it wasn't Don Law, but Don Law did have some awesome fucking stories about being in the recording studio with, uh, with Robert Johnson, though. But the dude was so impressed... He's like, why don't you come down to San Antonio, Texas, record some tracks? So he says, all right. So he goes down to San Antonio. He goes down there and he records, I believe, 29 songs over the course. And you'll hear a lot of people say, well, he only record he recorded 29 songs in just two recording sessions. And unfortunately, like that would add to the legend of him being so fucking badass but unfortunately, that's not true. He had, I think, close to four to five recording sessions down in San Antonio. He was recording anywhere from seven to 11 songs each time. 
it should be another little fun side fact is the one and only time that that Robert Johnson was played on the radio was a Canadian radio station. Thank you, Canada, for realizing kick-ass music in the late 30s. I appreciate that of you. He he did have a hit. His uh one of his first singles that came out sold about five thousand copies, which didn't make it a smash hit, but it made him recognizable. People knew who he was at this point in time. Now over these recording sessions, he got paid uh, several hundred dollars, which was more money than Robert Johnson had probably ever seen at one point in time in his whole life, because before then he was playing on street corners, living hand-to-mouth, riding the rails, traveling around, just playing anywhere that he could make a couple bucks. I mean, I I think it was the going rate for a juke juke joint at that point in time was, you know, a few bucks. And don't get me wrong, this is like the mid-30s, so I mean, that's still not bad, but you can't fucking make a living off of that. But he didn't care. I mean, he just traveled around. So, after he cuts these records, he ended up making, I believe, five albums uh, to where they put his tracks on. Now, where Don Law comes into play is because he said that Robert Johnson would come in. He said one of his one of his most famous stories is when Robert Johnson would come into play, he would face the corner to record. Now... Part of the legend is that he would face the corner to record because he didn't want anybody to see the devil coming out, you know, the devil coming out of his eyes when he was playing that guitar. And in all actuality, that wasn't it. Uh, what it was was, and I've honestly done this before with an acoustic guitar, is you face the corner to get better acoustics with vocals and or the guitar, especially if you have a low-grade mic or something like that. I've done it numerous times. I mean, I know Aaron Lewis, for instance, from Stained recorded a song called Excess Baggage, which was a hidden track on their Dysfunction album. He recorded that song in a fucking shitter stall, straight up. He fucking went into a stall, closed the fucking door, and recorded that song, and that's why it has that eerie hollow sound and that's exactly what he was going for now this is kind of where that would stem from so what and another another person and don law of course is responsible i believe for this story too is was was because he was so fucking shy that he couldn't look at anybody and in all honesty you know it it was all about the musical aspect of it because robert johnson was not a shy motherfucker He was charismatic, and he was an entertainer and a showman. And it is said that when he would play songs, he would play some of his his lady songs, he would literally pinpoint a woman in the crowd or in 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 the joint, and he would look at her and keep eye contact with her the whole time he was singing this song. Why? Because that draws people in. That's what people do. If you're singing a love song and you can make eye contact with a woman in the audience and keep that going, that's just going to drive everybody crazy. So that's what he would do. So when Don Law comes out with all these stories, you can't really believe them for 
all that they're worth. You got to take them with, with like a really, really big grain of salt. So he records these tracks and he comes back into, uh, you know, the Greenwood area, the Robbinsville area, you know, the right around the, the Delta. He comes back to the Delta for the most part. Now, when we get into his death, as much as his life is a mystery, there's a lot of mystery surrounding the events of his death as well. Basically, what happens is, is he is, and I've read this in two different places, and, and I would love to hear what you heard, but the place that he went to was a place called Three Forks, and it was attached to pretty much a general store. I heard anywhere from three miles outside of Greenwood, Mississippi to 15 miles outside of Greenwood, Mississippi. I don't know exactly what you might have heard about that, Olivia. I heard it was close. I heard it was really... And seeing that's what I heard too. I From his closest friends that were there, which is another fucking mystery because we have so many different stories about who was there, like when he died, I, I'm more prone to believe that it was a place that was just a few miles away. So I'm going to go ahead and say it was three miles outside of Greenwood, Mississippi. It was a place called Three Forks. And he's playing there on a Saturday night, August 13th, 1938. Now, as it goes, this is pretty much the story that I've read from... Two or three, I, w- I want to say three different sources. And it's like I said, it's really hard to pinpoint because what happens is he's playing a show there. And Robert Johnson, of, of course, is fucking amazing, playing a phenomenal show, and everybody's loving him. Well, Robert Johnson has a reputation as being a ladies' man. And he also has a reputation of when he plays certain songs, he pinpoints a woman in the audience and he sings specifically to her. Now, the woman he chooses from the audience just happens to be the owner's wife. Now, it is stated by, I believe it was Honey Boy, who said that there was actually an affair going on with him and this woman before he played there that night. I want to believe it, but I can't totally, so I'm just going to throw that out there. That is something that is said. It's totally unconfirmed, but he's playing a show there. He pinpoints out the owner's wife. Well, obviously, the owner is not very fucking happy about this. He's he's extremely jealous. Now, here's where shit gets a little twisted. There are several, several stories on what happened. I'm I'm just going to throw out there the two that I do not believe that I read. One of them is that after the show, um, Robert Johnson was stabbed. Uh, Another one is that Robert Johnson was shot. Robert Johnson was not shot nor stabbed. There's no indication of that. There was no wounds on the body. And the reason we know that is because Robert Johnson was alive for three days after this incident. Now... According to Sonny Boy Williamson, he gets offered a bottle of Jack Daniels from the owner of the juke joint, which was this woman's uh, husband. Now, according to him, he saw the owner lace this with poison. Now, there's a dispute on whether or not it was it was laced with strychnine or uh, what's that other poison? Lie? Is that Lie. What's, lie. 
He said he saw the owner lace this and then offer it to Robert Johnson. And Robert Johnson is not the man to turn down whiskey. So he goes to take a drink. Well, Sonny Boy Williamson says he slaps the bottle out of his hand. And Robert Johnson looks at him and says, don't ever slap a bottle of whiskey out of my hand again. Gets it, takes a big old swig of it, and soon afterward starts rolling around the ground howling like a dog. And that is a direct quote from Sonny Boy Williamson. Now, the other half of the story is from Honey Boy Edwards, which was, uh, he was David Honey Boy Edwards. Now, Honey Boy Edwards says that he got offered the bottle of Jack Daniels from the bartender, and Robert Johnson turned it down. He said, no, I don't want it. And apparently, after the owner of the bar and a couple other patrons started pretty much blowing him shit. They're like, come on, dude. Like, you're fucking, you know, Robert Johnson. You've never turned down whiskey ever. Well, he says, fine, fuck it. Takes a big old swig of it. And again, soon afterward, starts rolling around on the ground in severe stomach pain. The interesting thing about these two stories is that each one claims that they were there, and they were the one with Robert Johnson. But neither of them acknowledges that the other person was there. So it's so fucking hard to pinpoint which part of that story is true. But moving forward, what happens is he starts writhing around. He's got extreme abdominal pain. He's rolling around on the floor, just hurting bad. And I believe it was Honey Boy that took him to the to the nearby plantation. Is that what you read, or did you read it was Sunny Boy? No, I read it was Honey Boy. Okay, all right. That's the one I read the most of, so I wasn't totally sure if you had hit some other sources that I didn't. But pretty much Honey Boy takes him to um, an acquaintance of his a few miles away, which would, would have been in the Greenwood area. And from there... Robert Johnson for three days is in extreme pain and pretty much on uh, August 16th, 1938, he ends up dying. Now it is stated by his mother. I don't know if you ended up finding that quote from his mom or not, which is we're going to get to facts, but quote unquote his mother. Um, Did you end up digging that up? She said... When she went to where he was, he was laying up in the bed with his guitar across his chest. As soon as he saw me, he said, Mama, you all I've been waiting for. And and he gave me his guitar. Take and hang this thing on the wall, because I done pass all that by. So as she was hanging it on the wall, that's supposedly when he died. That's what she says. And this is supposedly a woman, and I mean, I guess we can go ahead and start getting into this. This is a woman named Mary Johnson, who was tracked down. Who's that? (laughs) Exactly. Mary Johnson was not the name of Robert Johnson's mother. As we had stated earlier, not even close. So... We'll get back into that and some of the facts and theories because there's a lot of shit to toss around. But the next part of the mystery is exactly where Robert Johnson was buried. 
and his death certificate, I suppose. Robert Johnson supposedly was buried in a coffin that was supplied by the county, uh, pretty much given a pauper's grave underneath a pecan tree. And nobody knows exactly where that is. Like I had stated earlier, Sony Records actually donated two uh, headstones to two different grave sites that claim the body of Robert Johnson. Granted, nobody has ever dug it up. And to be perfectly honest with you, I'm glad that they haven't because... I love the fact of his story and his legend and the fact that he's probably the only fucking guy on the planet that has three headstones in probably two different counties and nobody knows exactly which one he's actually under, if he's even under any of them. Right. As a showman, he might kind of enjoy (laughs) having his legend. (laughs) Exactly. But he, the you know, the death certificate wasn't even found... I guess we can kind of trickle into some of the facts here, I guess, on that note, starting off with the death certificate. Now, the death certificate, correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't even found until, what, 1968? Yeah, 1968, and what it said was no doctor. And when I do post this episode, I will post a copy of the death certificate, and it's really interesting just because of the fact of the... I don't want to say mystery because I've said that 10,000 times when talking about Robert Johnson. But that's accurate. It's it's accurate as fuck because literally the cause of death is no doctor. That's all it says. Which isn't a cause of death. It's, it doesn't even make sense. It makes exactly no sense. But you then... Know, like, there's no doctor here to determine cause of death and we just don't care enough to get one? I know, and that's pretty much where I was at with it. And I'm like, well, what the fuck? Okay, like, that does not make sense. Now, Cornelia Jordan did write something on the back of this death certificate. Now, Cornelia Jordan was the LaFleur County Registrar And she wrote on the back, and this actually wasn't even seen until another fucking 30 years later, in 1998, I believe. I heard 1998, and I heard 1996. So I'm not 100% which one, you know. 28 or 30 years. Yeah, exactly. It's It was a long fucking time. And it's just like, okay, so which one exactly, you know, is true? Okay, and what was written on the back by Cornelia Jordan, and she and I'm I'm gonna put this disclaimer out right now. This was a very different time with race relations. So the way that he is addressed and the way that black people are addressed at this point in time, probably not the most sincere way. So that being known, this is what the back of the death certificate said, and I quote I talked with the white man on whose place this Negro died, and I also talked with a Negro woman on this place. The plantation owner said the Negro man, seemingly about 26 years old, came from Tunica two or three weeks before he died to play banjo at a Negro dance given there on the plantation. He stayed in the house with some of the Negroes, saying he wanted to pick cotton. The white man did not have a doctor, for his negro as he had 
not worked for him. He was buried in a homemade coffin furnished by the county. The plantation owner said it was his opinion that the man died of syphilis. End quote. Now, I can personally find several things wrong with this. Now, when this got found, this brought up a whole new theory on his death. This brought up the syphilis theory. I suppose we start off facts with getting this death certificate out of the fucking way. Because the only thing that I read consistently about Robert Johnson is that he fucking hated farm work. Absolutely fucking hated it. So the specifically picking cotton. Specifically picking cotton. So him going to this farm to pick cotton is total fucking bullshit. Alright? I don't believe that for a second. That's pretty much what I wrote in my notes. It literally says sounds like bullshit. (laughs) Yes, man. And with that being said, I mean I can believe the homemade coffin because he did not know these people. That he, the house he was taken to was an acquaintance of Honey Boy. He did not know these people, so it's not too far out of the realm of possibility that he was buried in a homemade coffin because maybe, you know, he didn't have two nickels to rub together, and that's what they did. And they would put him in an unmarked grave, which is where the, you know, being, being buried in a homemade coffin under a pecan tree would come into play. Now, with that, we move on to the syphilis. Now, when this thing was found, and me and you were talking about this earlier, like, first of all, when they find a fucking death certificate 30 years after the fucking King of the Delta Blues dies, why would you not flip it over? Like, was it in a frame? I don't, that, I don't that get sense. that. It doesn't make sense at all. And the fact that they said that he died of syphilis. I will say one thing. Congenital syphilis, which is brought on by birth, can cause effects. One of which would be, and it's very, very rare, but a brain aneurysm, which would honestly kill Robert Johnson immediately. It wouldn't leave him in pain for three days. It wouldn't, it wouldn't do that to him. So, it's, it's, I don't want to say that because, I mean, yeah, it's a possibility, but at the same time, it is very well documented that doctors who didn't want to deal with black people's deaths would often write the cause of death was syphilis. Now, where this comes from is Robert Johnson was a traveling blues man. He, they had a reputation of being, you know, pretty promiscuous. And it was basically, you know, a stereotype. It was a really bad stereotype for, for bluesmen at the time. So they would literally just write cause of death, syphilis, and then just be done with it. They wouldn't, wouldn't fucking care. Now, Cornelia Jordan, the person who supposedly wrote this on the back of this death certificate, supposedly conducted an investigation into his death. Personally, whether she did or not, I don't know. But if somebody told her this information, part of it is true. 
he he was playing banjo and guitar for a couple weeks there in in outside of Greenwood. He really was. That is that is definitely fact, and that is, you know, not I can't say documented because nothing about this fucking guy's life is documented. But it is said by close friends and you know people who were still alive when they conducted interviews in the '60s that this was, you know, what happened. But the fact that the syphilis just doesn't make a lick of sense to me. What are your what are your what's your opinion on that, Olivia? Um, well like I said my notes say sounds like bullshit. Actually that was what the the <laughs> thing. But I I didn't buy into it either. Um you know, like for one thing, could note have been written on there much later and that's how it got missed for so long. Yep. yep. But, um you know, from what little understanding I have of syphilis that's something that, I mean, I think it kind of turns your brain into Swiss cheese and it's sort of their long-term effects of it. Yeah. You see before you die, you don't just all of a sudden just get all messed up and then die really quickly. So I just, it didn't ring true to me. Yeah. And that's, that was the other thing was the fact that syphilis just doesn't kill you overnight. It is, it takes its time. It basically drives you to dementia. It'll physically deform you. That's not something that'll kill you overnight. So, I mean, I honestly totally threw that out the window when I read that. So, for all you listeners out there, that is fact. I mean, this is what the birth certificate stated. This is what was handwritten on the back. The fact of the matter is with with syphilis, even if it's congenital, which is, you know, when you have syphilis from birth, his mom outlived him. You know, if he had it from birth, that means she would have had to have had it. So that makes no fucking sense whatsoever. He had no signs. He had no symptoms. He had none of that shit. So I guess with some of those facts, let's go ahead and go back in time to the Crossroads legend. Do you want to give us any input on some facts with the Crossroads legend? Well, I have no opinions on the location of the crossroads. Uh, it, it sounds like that story, at least as far as being associated with Robert Johnson, never popped up before that 1966 interview that Sun House did. That is exactly fucking right. Direct. And he didn't even, and he didn't even come out and say that. No. You know? Well, I didn't see a direct quote on it, so I don't know if he, really did say six months or not, but um, the author didn't directly quote this from Sunhouse, but he just claimed that Sunhouse had seriously suggested that Johnson had sold his soul for the ability to play. So he didn't, you know, we don't even know if he really said that. And and so Sunhouse was the only musician from that time that ever even repeated that story. Yeah. And... And I don't know, do you want to talk about that six months versus two years thing? Yeah, because as a traveling blues man, with all respect to that genre of music, these guys were storytellers. They were they were travelers. And that's what they were. They were showmen. That does not take away the fact that they could tell a story does not take away from their musical abilities. Because as musicians, they 
for those of you who don't know, the Delta Blues, they're, they're the fathers of rock and roll. Like, that's where that came from. That's an entire genre that if it wouldn't have been there, you wouldn't have seen the Rolling Stones. You wouldn't have seen Eric Clapton. You wouldn't have seen so fucking many other bands. And they were just so ahead of their time and so unique. So I'm not taking anything away from them as musicians, but they were storytellers and they embellish shit every now and then. So personally, it reminds me of like, go ahead. Oh, sorry. It reminds me of like grandpas and fishing stories. Exactly. I get that kind of vibe from it. So, you know, if he did say specifically Robert Johnson sold his soul to the devil, I mean, he could have been kind of telling a, like a, like a fishing tale. Exactly. And even then, you know, when he gives the interviews and like I had said, he had, he literally told this story in interviews for 20 or 30 years. Every time he would say the same thing, he would say, there's no way he could have learned to play that good that fast. He must have sold his soul to the devil. That's not saying that he fucking did. Robert Johnson himself never, there's one person on this fucking earth that Robert Johnson supposedly admitted to. And that was one of his girlfriends, and I think her name was what, Willie Mae? It's oh, Willie Mae. She's actually Honey Boy's cousin. Okay. Well, Willie, Willie Mae was a girlfriend of his. In a later interview, and I believe this was in the early 90s, I want to say. Mm-hmm. I think it was in 92. She does an interview. And when asked the question of whether or not she knew about Robert Johnson selling his soul to the devil... She says, yeah, he told me about it. He told me how he did it. He told me when he did it. He told me where he went. But she never got into specifics about it. Now, Willie Mae is substantial. I mean, fucking Robert. Willie Mae Powell. Yeah, Willie Mae Powell. That's what it was. Yep. I mean, Robert Johnson wrote a fucking song about her, for God's sakes. You know what I mean? And she never gets into specifics, though. And... I mean, we can't even nail down where the crossroads are. Now, U.S. 61 and U.S. 49 in in, uh, Clarksdale, Mississippi, is the adopted place of where the crossroads are. There's a monument there, for God fucking sakes. Get your selfies. That's where you go get your selfies when you're a fucking tourist down there. But the actual place that they believe, if this legend is true, is the intersection of U.S. 1 and U.S. 8 in Rosedale, Mississippi, close to the Mississippi River. Now, if you listen to Eric Clapton's song, Crossroads, which obviously is Robert Johnson's song, you know, he says, going down to Rosedale, you know, that's what he's talking about. That's where the locals, that's where the bluesmen, that's where the legends say that the crossroads are. Not the fucking tourists, not the monuments, not the people taking fucking selfies. So, I mean, personally, in that spectrum, I would have to lean more towards that being the actual crossroads. Now, touching base on that a little bit, there is a guy named Tommy Johnson. No relation to Robert whatsoever. Now, Tommy Johnson was a blues man as well. Tommy Johnson, he legit admitted to his brother, Liddell, which Liddell stated in an interview several years later 
that he went to the crossroads and he did sell his soul to the devil. And he told him exactly how he fucking did it. According to Liddell Johnson, what Tommy Johnson said is what I had read to you at the beginning of this episode. And he said, quote, if you want to learn to play anything, you want to play and learn how to make songs yourself, you take your guitar and you go to where a road crosses that way, where a crossroad is. Get there. Be sure to get there just a little before 12 o'clock that night so you know you'll be there. You have your guitar, and you be playing a piece sitting there by yourself. You have to go by yourself and be sitting there playing a piece. A black man will walk up there and take your guitar, and he'll tune it. And then he'll play a piece and hand it back to you. That's the way I learned how to play anything I want. End quote. And that pretty much right there is Tommy Johnson's legacy. Um... Now it is because of oral history throughout that time, and especially between traveling bluesmen's, I I can totally understand how that can get misconstrued. It could be flipped around and not. But Tommy Johnson, to some people, is considered the real king of the Delta blues, but without the recognition of Robert Johnson. Because Robert Johnson had such a legend and an undocumented life, and especially because of the fact that in December of 1938, Robert Johnson was supposed to play at Carnegie Hall in New York. Now, supposedly, another poetic part of his life is that he received the letter to play at Carnegie Hall the day that he died. You know, this was, I believe, a guy named John Hammond who organized this, and it was a big, it was a big deal. It was, uh, it was an event he had, like a bunch. He was trying to open up the world to African American music, and one of his main people was Robert Johnson. Now, when he played this, or when he put together this entire huge concert at Carnegie Hall, it was so awesome because it wasn't about black or white it was about the music and they were playing slave hymns they had people singing slave hymns they had you know straight up music right from africa there but his main star that was supposed to be there was robert johnson and robert had johnson when he announced that he had already died what he did was still gives me chills I ain't even gonna lie. It gives me fucking chills. He got one of the old 78 records and he played it over the intercom for all the people in Carnegie Hall. And that right there is what pretty much solidified Robert Johnson. And don't get me wrong, Robert Johnson is one of the most talented guitar players you will ever fucking see in your life. Still to this day, it's 2017, he is regarded as the king of the Delta Blues and one of the greatest guitar players that has ever lived. So nobody will ever take that away from him, whether this legend is true or not. But the legend just kind of spawned out. Like you were saying earlier, Olivia, like nobody had really heard about it until 1966 when Sunhouse gave that interview 
And that's when it just kind of sprung up and people started running with it. But there was one guy named Henry Goodman. Now, I'm not exactly sure who Henry Goodman was because I know he was a bluesman and I know that he he did play the in the Delta. He was a traveling guy just like Robert Johnson and Sunhouse and, you know, Honey Boy and, you know, Sonny Boy. But I couldn't really find any information on him. Could you? I didn't know. I couldn't even tell if he was maybe like someone more towards the present or someone who was around back then. Same here. I have no fucking idea. But apparently part of this legend comes from him. And what Henry Goodman says is that as he was traveling to Rosedale, he had a vision. And what he had a vision of was Robert Johnson selling his soul to the devil to be able to play guitar like that. Now, he when he had this vision, he wrote it all down, and it is very well documented. You can find it out there. But just bear with me for a couple minutes because I'm going to read this to you because it is it is fucking awesome. And basically what Henry Goodman says is, Robert Johnson been playing down in Yazoo City and over at Beulah trying to get back up to Helena. Right left him out on a road next to the levee. Walking up to the highway, guitar in his hand, propped up on his shoulder. October, cool night, full moon filling up in the dark sky. Robert Johnson, thinking about Sun House, preaching to him. Quote, put that guitar down, boy, you're driving people nuts. Unquote. Robert Johnson needing as always a woman and some whiskey. Big trees all around, dark and lonesome road, a crazed Poison dog howling and moaning in a ditch alongside the road, sending electrified chills up and down Robert Johnson's spine, coming up on a crossroads just south Rosedale. Robert Johnson, feeling bad and lonesome, knows people up the highway in Gunnison. Can get a drink of whiskey more up there. Man sitting off to the side of the road on a log at the crossroads says, You're late, Robert Johnson. Robert Johnson drops to his knees and says, Maybe not. The man stands up, tall, barrel-chested, and black as the forever closed eyes of Robert Johnson's stillborn baby, and walks out to the middle of the crossroads where Robert Johnson kneels. He says, Stand up, Robert Johnson. You want to throw that guitar over there in that ditch with that hairless dog and go back up to Robinsonville and play that harp with Willie Brown and Son because you just another guitar player like all the rest. Or you want to play the guitar like nobody ever played it before. Make a sound nobody ever heard before. You want to be the king of the Delta Blues and have all that whiskey and women you want? Robert Johnson replies, That's a lot of whiskey and women, devil man. Devil Man says, I know Robert Johnson. Robert Johnson feels the moonlight bearing down on his head and the back of his neck as the moon seems to be growing bigger and bigger and brighter and brighter. He feels it like the heat of a noonday sun bearing down and the howling and moaning of the dog in the ditch penetrates his soul, coming up through his feet and the tips of his fingers, through his legs and arms, Settling in that big empty place beneath his breastbone, causing him to shake and shudder like a man with palsy. Robert Johnson says, That dog gone mad. Devil man laughs and says, That hound belonged to me. He ain't mad. He's got the blues. I got his soul in my hand. The dog lets out a howl. Long soulful moan. 
a howling like never heard before. Rhythmic grunts, yelps, and barks, seizing Robert Johnson like a grand maul and causing the strings on his guitar to vibrate and hum and sing with sound dark and blue. Beautiful, soulful chords and notes pressing Robert Johnson, taking him over, spinning him around, losing him inside of his own self, wasting him, lifting him up into the sky. Robert Johnson looks over in the ditch and sees the eyes of the dog reflecting the bright moonlight, or, more likely it seems to Robert Johnson, glowing on their own, a deep violet penetrating glow. And Robert Johnson knows and feels that he is staring into the eyes of the hellhound as his body shudders from head to toe. The devil man says, The dog ain't for sale, Robert Johnson, but the sound can be yours. That's the sound of the Delta Blues. Robert Johnson says, I got to have that sound, devil man. That sound is mine. Where do I sign? The devil man says... You ain't got a pencil, Robert Johnson. Your word is good enough. All you gotta do is keep walking north, but you better be prepared. There are consequences. He says, prepared for what, devil man? Devil man says, you know where you are, Robert Johnson. You're standing in the middle of the crossroads at midnight. That full moon is right over your head. You take one more step, you'll be in Rosedale. You take this road to the east, you'll be back over to Highway 61 in Cleveland. Or you can turn around and go back to down to Beulah, or just go to the west and sit up on the levee and look at the river. But if you take one more step in the direction you're headed, you're going to be in Rosedale at midnight under this full October moon, and you are going to have the blues like never known to this world. My left hand will be forever wrapped around your soul, and your music will possess all who hear it. That's what's going to happen. That's what you better be prepared for. Your soul will belong to me. This is not just any crossroads. I put this X here for a reason. And I've been waiting for you. Robert Johnson rolls his head around, his eyes upward in their sockets to stare at the blinding light of the moon, which has now completely filled Thai pitch black delta night, piercing his right eye like a bolt of lightning, as the midnight hour hits, he looks the big man squarely in the eyes and says, Step back, devil man. I'm going to Rosedale. I am the blues. The man moves to one side and says, Go on, Robert Johnson. You the king of the Delta Blues. Go on home to Rosedale. And when you get on up in town, you get you a plate of hot tamales because you're going to be needing something in your stomach where you're heading. And that right there is the vision that Henry Goodman had and uh he wrote it all down and is fucking interesting to be perfectly honest with you. What's your thoughts on that, Olivia? I don't know. That guy sounds like a writer. Mm. Well, if you actually read it, I put a lot of uh uh well if you read it, you can definitely tell this guy is not a fucking writer. (laughs) There is not many periods, a lot of commas, and it just kinda goes. Um, I mean, he may be like a pope. In all honesty, that's kind of more what it sounds like to me. My thought is, is like, what if he's a poet from, you know, what it was in like the 90s that that turned up? And see, and that's the thing. I have no fucking idea when this actually turned up. I want to say in the thing you sent me about that, it may have said the 90s. So, you know, 
for all I know, it could have been written then by a poet just influenced by this Robert Johnson legend. I mean, it's interesting. Oh, it's very interesting. And it's fucking, to be honest with you, like, whether it's whether he had this vision or whether this legend is true, I still fucking dig the shit out of that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, it's very, very cool. Okay. It's very... I buy the Tommy Johnson story. I do too. I don't know why. I I honestly do too, and this and part of it is because of the sad irony that he has never gotten any recognition. Right, right. I mean, it's like, in the end, the devil fucked him over. Pretty much, yeah. And I mean, for all those of you who have seen the movie Where, or Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? First of all, if you haven't seen that movie, you need to, because it's seriously awesome. I Am the Man of Constant Star- Sorrow is like one of my top ten favorite songs. But there's a character in that movie who's named Tommy Johnson. Now, when you're watching the movie and you've never heard of Tommy Johnson, you naturally assume that it's Robert Johnson. They just changed the first name because of copyright reasons or whatever. And in all honesty, that's what I always thought, too, until I started researching this. I think part of that Crossroads legend, I guess, I think it came more from Tommy, but ended up being more recognized with Robert Johnson because of... His life being such a mystery and the way that he died. Do you want to touch base? Do you have any thoughts on his actual cause of death, I guess we could say? Um, yeah, I actually, the funny thing is, is I would not call myself a skeptic. I guess I am about certain things. I'm way into ghosts. But, like, the, the whole devil at the crossroad story was never super compelling to me. And to me, and maybe it's because I do a true, true crime podcast, but to yeah. me, the, the more interesting story is his death. I'm on board for the story about poisoning. I mean, the, for the reasons we mentioned, I think the syphilis thing sounds like nonsense. And I just, you know, I don't know what else would make somebody just get sick like that and die being so young. And the thing about that, too, is strychnine. Strychnine has a very, very prominent, strong odor. Mm-hmm. And you cannot cover that up with alcohol. And the thing about strychnine as well is that you have to consume a lot of it in order for it to kill you. And on top of that, if you do end up consuming that much, it's going to kill you in a matter of hours, not days. But so it could have been something else. It could have been something else. It could have been that lie. You know, it could have been laced with a lie. I don't think it would be lie. Isn't lie corrosive? I mean, I think that would would kill you fast. (laughs) You would, yeah. Something else just goes along with this fucking life. Like I've researched this like non fucking stop, and it's like, oh my god! Like literally, Robert fucking McCormick went down to the Delta to research Robert Johnson's life. He researched his life for three fucking decades, and he got to the point where he got so fucking frustrated that he was going to write a book about Robert Johnson. He was going to do his biography, and he literally got so fucking frustrated that he quit. He fucking researched this guy's life for 30 fucking years, and he got so frustrated he just quit. Yeah, because how do you abandon your life's work? I don't, you know, I don't I think, know. I think we've got a peek into why. Well, I mean, yeah, 
because there's nothing that's concrete with the exception of him being married twice, him fucking dying. He was poisoned somehow. I don't believe for a second it was syphilis. I don't think, I highly doubt he was poisoned with strychnine, but... Arsenic. Arsenic, yeah. I mean, that could have been it, you know. I really didn't think about that, but... I mean, the abdominal pain, it was definitely some sort of poison because there was no, of all the witnesses there, which there were witnesses that said anything about any kind of wounds, you know? So it's like, what the fuck happened? And I mean, in in Robert McCormick's defense, his son actually carried on his work along with another uh, folklorist named Alan Lomax. Alan Lomax was actually the one who interviewed his quote-unquote mother. Now, a lot of people gave Alan Lomax shit because they're like, well, obviously he made that story up to add to the legend of Robert Johnson. But at the end of the day, I don't think it was him. I think it was a woman who came forth and said, I'm his mom. But at the same time, Alan Lomax, having researched Robert Johnson for fucking ever would be one of the people who would know that his mom was not named Mary Johnson. That's just weird. Seriously fucking weird. And then, touching back on the crossroads, you know, there's a lot of things in in songs that are open for interpretation. Now, I will say this. Like, all of his closest friends, Johnny Shines being one of them, Johnny was his closest friend, like, that you're going to be able to find. And he said that, you know, Robert Johnson never once said anything to me about the devil. Never once. So it's like, where did Robert Johnson get all of these songs? I mean, if you listen to his song lyrics, which I played in some of the audio clips beforehand, he talks about the devil all the fucking time in his music. How's Johnny Shines never going to fucking say, or how's how's Johnny Shines going to say, Oh, I never heard him talk about the devil once. It's like, dude, if you listen to one of his fucking songs, you heard him talk about it, you know? But at the same time, like we were touching base on a little bit earlier, I think a lot of it goes to society and the Delta at that point in time. If you played the blues, if you basically played any kind of music besides church music, you were considered to be playing the devil's music. Right. I mean, unfortunately, that's how it was. Same thing when rock and roll came around. It was the devil's music. I mean, for fuck's sake, dude, Kevin Bacon in Footloose. (laughs) He was dancing his fucking ass off to the devil's music. That's fucking legit, dude. But I think a lot of it goes back to, to an African deity called Legba. Legba is an African deity of wisdom. When you would go to the quote-unquote crossroads, which is where you would find Legba, that's where you would find wisdom. Now, Robert Johnson could have been talking about going to the crossroads, which is going to Ike Zimmerman's house for a couple years and finding that wisdom you know, or getting that wisdom to be able to learn how to play the guitar. It's so up for, it's, yeah, symbolism. I mean, symbolism is in music fucking everywhere. You know, you see it now. 
I don't see why everybody might be so surprised that you see it back in the 30s. But I just, I don't know. I'll be perfectly honest with you. Of all the the cases that I've done, this is probably one of the most confusing. I mean, dude, people can't even agree on the town he was fucking born in. You know, I fucking read Hazelhurst. I fucking read, like, two other places. And I'm just like, god damn, guys. Yeah, I mean, you and I texted back and forth about a million different details where we just weren't sure. It's like, did you see this? No, did you see this? But but what about this? Yeah. yeah, It's like such a rabbit hole. And if I had a few million dollars to where I could quit my job and go to the Delta, and I, I mean, I wish I could resurrect all these people and just be like, listen, dudes, tell me what the fuck happened. Like... I want to fucking talk to Robert Johnson and say, what the fuck? Tell me your life story, dude. Because, I mean, so much of it is actual fact, which I do believe a lot of it is fact. I mean, but at the end of the day, it's like when it gets into his musical career, it's so just on a whim. I don't know. I don't know, Olivia. Do you have any thoughts, any more thoughts on it, I guess? I don't know. I... Like, I read about the the African deity, and I didn't find that particularly compelling just because he had um, had it pushed in his face so much from his family and, and his uh, dead wife's family about yeah. the devil's music. So, like, he could have meant the devil in the Christian tradition, but it still could be symbolism. You know, he may not have been like literally in those songs singing about the devil. I mean, you know, the devil could be a stand in for some bad or unpleasant thing. I mean, as far as his involvement in selling his soul for his ability, I just, I don't think that belongs associated with him. I think that I'm, I just think that Tommy Johnson story makes more sense. I mean, whether or not Tommy Johnson literally sold his soul to the devil we could debate that until the end of time yeah but that'd be a whole that, <laughs> that'd be a whole nother episode God, yeah <laughs> not proving anything there <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you would never get anywhere and that's the thing about it i don't know it's just it's just so confusing but i mean i think a lot of that a lot of that legend comes from sun house saying what he did and i don't think he did it intentionally you know, I think he was just saying how you say shit sometimes, just like figure of speech. It's just a figure of speech, you know, and and then you have that associated with, you know, the Tommy Johnson legend, which he actually admitted to his brother and other people, and he told him in detail where he went and how he did it. And Tommy Johnson, to be perfectly honest with you, was pretty fucking amazing in his own right, but he just never got any recognition. He was just overshadowed. So I think, like, the myth is, you know, maybe somewhere along the lines, because they had the same name, so maybe it got crossed. I don't know. Well, but. yeah, and I mean, what Sun House said really could have just been taken out of context. Like, what it made me think of, this is kind of a funny thing, but... um the guy, I can't remember his name, but the guy who played Eddie Haskell on Leave It to Be, oh, where there fuck. was this rumor for a while that, well, 
to back it up, Alice Cooper said in an interview, they were talking to him about like what he was like in high school. And he said, basically, he was like, I was such an Eddie Haskell, you know, (laughs) meaning that he was a lot like that character. Well, that guy, they they misprinted it. And somehow this turned into some big rumor that that he was the guy who played Eddie Haskell. Oh, yeah. Sometimes things just get taken out of context and go way wrong. Kind of like the rumor when Marilyn Manson was that kid from the Wonder Years. Yes, exactly. exactly. <laughs> it's like, who the fuck comes up with this shit, man? I mean, I don't, it's, sometimes it's so amusing, it's like, I know back then it didn't happen, but today it's like, did the internet just make this shit up randomly? And then people are just like, holy fuck, oh my god, that's so true. Well, I mean, it, it just takes like one instance of a story like that getting started, and it's gonna spread around, you know, and may even get changed even more, like a, like a game of telephone. I mean, that's where things gonna make, make its way around. Oh, definitely, definitely. I don't know, all in all, I will say this, no matter what the legend behind him is i don't think there's any fucking person that has any knowledge of music that will ever deny the fact that robert johnson to this day is one of the greatest guitar players that ever lived he was extremely talented and for those of you who have never heard him sing one thing that uh was mentioned in the vision that i read to you guys was that you know his his voice is so eerie and and haunting and that is spot on because when you hear him sing it's just it sends chills all over your body it's like god damn it this guy is so fucking amazing and i can i honestly believe that without robert johnson influencing a lot of bands especially in the early mid and late 60s and for some odd reason, coming out of England, most of them came out yeah. of... Dude, the Rolling Stones, Keith Richards, is fucking obsessed with Robert Johnson. Same thing with Eric Clapton, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I just, I honestly believe that if it wasn't for Robert Johnson, there would, music would have been totally different. I, I, I mean, I don't, I can't say totally different. But he is such an influential part of so many musicians. It's just, it's amazing. The guy recorded 29 fucking songs. That was it. I think that's, at the end of the day, that's the one thing we all should remember and should definitely respect. Whether his life story is skewed, whether he made a deal with the devil or not, I honestly have been a Robert Johnson fan for an extremely long time. I have absolutely nothing but the utmost respect for this guy. So, what do you think, Olivia? Um, I think it's really interesting. I mean, I feel like maybe I don't know a whole lot more coming out than I did going <laughs> in, but I still think it's interesting, and I think it's it's so amazing that someone can be sort of such a such a phantom, but yeah. to me, it's such a mark. Yeah. That's phantom is a great word for it because that's exactly what he was. It's like I think I walked in with a lot of questions and I left with a lot more details on his life that are either true or not true, and then probably even more questions to be honest with you. Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah, fuck exactly. me, man. But yeah, I don't know personally. I mean, 
I just don't even know what to make of his his death at all. I really don't. There's I don't believe for a second it was strychnine. I don't believe it was syphilis. I don't think it was lie. He wasn't shot. He wasn't stabbed. Whether or not it was Honey Boy there, whether or not it was Sunny Boy there, I don't fucking know. Personally, I believe it was Sunny Boy, but that's just me. So I lost my mind on this one. I don't know. Yeah, I can understand that. <laughs> I suppose, Olivia, do you have any closing thoughts before we go? I don't think so. I think I've kind of said everything I have to say. I, yeah. You know, I feel like his death was maybe the most interesting part to me. Yeah, I think all of it was pretty interesting to me, but the yeah. mystery around his his death is definitely, I don't know. I have no fucking idea. <laughs> I truly don't. Neither do I. <laughs> okay. Neither does anyone else, apparently. Oh, apparently so. not. No, they don't even know where the fuck the guy's buried, so. But I guess, on that note, Olivia, plug your show. Um, it's called Something's Not Right, and I co-host it with my friend Tashana. We do mostly true crime, but we'll be doing some kind of scary stuff leading up to Halloween. I'm, we're, we're down for anything that's disturbing, and we, um, we use language similar to Justin's. Yeah! <laughs> yeah, we've got kind of salty language, and we... We get off track and we cut up a little. So if you're not into that sort of thing, skip us. But, you know, it's conversational and it's fun and we like doing it. Yeah. And like like I told you earlier, you're, there's a few podcasts that I literally listen to as soon as they come out. And yours is one of them. I love your guys' podcast. So Yay. for those of you who uh, haven't listened to it yet, get the fuck on it. So Seriously. Seriously. But, um, all right. So I guess on that note, I will, uh, see all you guys on the flip side.